0: It's the media buzz meter with Howard Kurtz. Everyone who buys toys will, I'm sure, be relieved to know that Lego says it will eliminate gender stereotypes from its products. We'll no longer market toys as being four girls or four boys. I didn't really see a lot of Lego, you know, they have those little people and everything. By the way, it's the world's largest toy maker. I hadn't realized that. The Danish company putting out a statement saying that despite progress, Uh, General attitudes surrounding play and creative careers remain unequal and restrictive. Girls today feel increasingly confident to engage in all types of play and creative activities, but remain held back by society's ingrained gender stereotypes as they grow older. So uh, when you go out and buy your Legos now, you can decide that boys and girls can be whatever they want to be. Um, meanwhile, I talked yesterday on the podcast, I'm sure you've heard about this Superman going by, and what a shock this is, to especially to all the Lois Lane fans. Yes, I know, it's not the actual Superman we all grew up with. It's son of Superman, the son of Clark Kent and Lois Lane uh, in new DC Comics issues, coming out as bisexual. Dean Cain, the actor who played Superman at one time, Uh, is kind of scoffing at this, saying, well, they say it's a bold new direction. I say they're bandwagoning. Uh, I said this on Fox & Friends. Robin just came out as bi. Who's really shocked about that one? The new Captain America is gay. Uh, My daughter in the CW series Supergirl, where I played the father, was gay. So I don't think it's bold or brave or some crazy new direction. If they'd done this 20 years ago... Perhaps that would have been bold or brave. And Dean Kay says, Brave would have him fighting for the rights of gay people in Iran, where they'll throw you off a building for the offense of being gay. Interesting uh, super perspective. All right. Netflix, uh, speaking of this sort of thing, uh, I I knew this wouldn't last. Netflix had suspended one of its software engineers named Terra Field uh, because Terra Field attended a meeting that was meant for the company's top executives. Well, first of all, you think um, that she had, you know, barged her way into the door. It was a virtual meeting. So she got online for the Zoom or whatever it was. And what she wanted to do was to protest, along with a couple other employees, who I guess were fired, wanted to protest the fact that uh, Netflix has this new comedy series, Dave Chappelle, which has a lot of jokes about trans people. It has received a lot of criticism. And he's not backing off. He says, this is what I do. You, know, you get to make fun of them, and it's, it's harmless, but a lot of people taking offense at this. So now uh, she tweeted last night, Tara Field, that she's been reinstated in her job. Uh, she included an email statement from Netflix, saying that she had intended the meeting without any ill intent and that a director had shared the link to join. So She didn't even know she was crashing the thing. Um, is absolutely untrue. A Netflix spokesperson told The Washington Post to say, we've suspended any employees for tweeting about this show. Our employees are encouraged to disagree openly, and we support their right to do so, except when we don't think they should have been in the Zoom, then we suspend or fire them. So... A little bit of damage control by the company. Uh, this was uh, uh, rather stunning to me just because I, I deal with the guy sometimes. The CNN head of strategic communications, Matt Dornick, posted a video, actually a security camera video, that involved him on Monday night where he was dodging gunfire in the District of Columbia in a neighborhood that's not that bad a neighborhood. It's near a very well-known fancy French restaurant called Le Diplomat. Uh, He's walking down the street uh, on a sidewalk. Car passes by. Suddenly gunshots ring out. Um, The video doesn't show exactly where the gunshots are going to, but it shows Dornan running further away to try to avoid the violence. Uh, He tweeted, Here's a video of me dodging random gunfire in northwest D.C. last night at 8.42 p.m. This is unacceptable. He said he wanted to draw attention to crime in the city, make people aware that it affects A whole lot of folks. And perhaps D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser should do something about this. Look, crime obviously is a difficult problem, but uh, when a CNN executive is dodging gunfire in a neighborhood that's just kind of a mixed neighborhood, uh, I think that's kind of a wake-up call. Uh, You all recall Katie Couric uh, coming out with this new memoir, It's Not Out Yet, in which she says all kinds of things, including some of the women who she froze out because she thought they were potential rivals. But she got a lot of flack. I mean, a lot of flack for revealing in this forthcoming book that when her longtime co-host, Matt Lauer, was fired by NBC for a series of sexual harassment incidents, that she had said, hey, I'm here for you and I love you and, and texted him, you know, support. So in this cover story now that just came out of People magazine, she's kind of... Let's just say this is itself a little bit, I think probably in response to all the criticism. She says Matt Lauer's behavior was grossly inappropriate and callous quote. What upset me the most about hearing these stories was that obviously, uh, this was grossly inappropriate, but it also just seemed so callous. And that's not the Matt I knew there's a duality in human beings. And sometimes they don't let you see both sides. And that part is true. Uh, The John Gruden resignation, this is the guy who was the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, who was revealed by the New York Times to have sent all kinds of just horrible emails. I read a whole bunch of them on yesterday's podcast, if you want to know more about it, or you can just Google it. I mean, homophobic stuff. And this is, he was sharing this with other NFL people, including the then president of what were then called the Washington Redskins. Uh, Topless photos of cheerleaders, that sort of thing. So Sally Jenkins has a column in the Washington Post today saying that basically he's the epitome of the National Football League. Uh, He wasn't just speaking for himself, she says, but he's a representative NFL man in his blithe bigotry. That is very much the football establishment. His talk of queers and fat-lipped black men. And it's going to be a challenge for everyone in and around the league who would like to separate themselves um, from this Creepy chauvinism, she says. He had a very traditional upbringing, born in Sandusky, Ohio, the home of Newt Rockney. He was the son of a coach and a scout, went to high school in South Bend, right near Notre Dame, and um, worked for ESPN, Monday Night Football. Sally Jenkins writes, they all knew who he was and how he talked. It was learned inside the game. As NFL quarterback-turned-observer Sage Rosenfels tweeted, if you thought these emails would have been reported by to officials by those who were receiving them, well, the problem is these are the same people. It's a huge black eye for the National Football League. All right, story number one. The coronavirus vaccine mandate wars are continuing, in fact, intensifying, according to this uh, story in the Washington Post. I mean, we have the latest news, which is Texas' Republican governor, Greg Abbott, issued an order saying that there can be no mandates in the Lone Star State, including from private businesses. And two of the more prominent private businesses based in Texas, American Airlines and Southwest Airlines, are pushing back and saying, no, 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 there's a federal mandate, and we think that supersedes anything that Greg Abbott can do, the federal mandate authorized by Joe Biden. So they're going to keep the rule that nobody can work for those airlines, unless they are vaxxed by a certain date. Uh, the Washington Post takes a broader look, saying the anti-mandate cause is becoming increasingly central to pro-Trump Republicans. People like Abbott and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis loudly promoting it, a development that complicates President Biden's efforts to fight the pandemic. Uh, in, yesterday in New York State, a federal judge said that the state which imposed a mandate on healthcare workers must allow religious exemptions while the mandate works its way through the courts. Republican Congressman Jim Jordan tweeting that Ohio should ban all vaccine mandates. And then, speaking of sports, you've got the Brooklyn Nets star Kyrie Irving uh, was told by the team yesterday, and he's been an absolute holdout, that he must get vaccinated or... He can't play or even practice with the team. And so now Kyrie Irving has become kind of a hero on the right, Donald Trump Jr., tweeting that Irving, you know, deserves a lot of credit given what he sacrificed. What he's sacrificing is 30 or $40 million of his annual salary if he continues to take this stance. Um, previously, it was said that Kyrie Irving just couldn't play in the home games in Brooklyn because of a New York City policy. But if you think about it, like how come he can't play in the home games, but he can go on the road as an unvaxxed guy? Remember, I mean, NBA, it's contact sport. And expose people on other teams. So the Brooklyn Nets are basically just benching him. And we'll see what happens. He hasn't said much about his reasonings. Apparently he has had COVID before. That might make him think that he's got the natural immunity, doesn't need the shot. By the way, Washington Post, ABC news poll. Uh, This is from early September. Uh, So, you know, a few weeks ago, found that a slight majority of Americans, that's 52 percent, support businesses requiring employees who come to work to be vaccinated. But here's the rub. Eight in 10 Democrats favor these vaccine mandates, while more than six out of 10 Republicans oppose them. So it really has become um, the latest Focus of the culture wars, except these are really important culture wars because the more that states, cities, and businesses, and I understand there's very different feelings on this. This is not the same as saying, hey, you people who aren't vaccinated, it really would be a smart idea for you to go get vaccinated, protect yourself, protect your family, protect your community, protect your colleagues. But if you're forcing them to do it with either you got to get it, Or you have to undergo regular testing or you got to get it or we're firing you. In the case of these airlines, uh, Southwest, I read, there's a couple hundred people who haven't gotten it and they're going to be fired. They're going to lose their jobs. And so I understand why it's such an emotional uh, debate. Uh, The policy of Fox News, by the way, is 90% of those who work for Fox are vaccinated. Those who are refusing to get the vaccine are not fired, but they have to get a COVID test every day or they can't come to work. Uh, So that's a pretty strong incentive, I would say, to get vaccinated. All right. Story number two. Um, Today, of course, the day of the second Blue Origin flight featuring William Shatner. Uh, I've been watching interviews with this guy. He's 90 years old. He's in incredible shape. I mean, physically, he doesn't look 90. And mentally, I mean, he's sparring with interviewers and making jokes about, you know, yeah, I was Captain Kirk, but this is real life. I'm a little bit nervous about this. And you, there was some video released today of Jeff Bezos, who owns Blue Origin, of course, with Kirk, with Shatner, I should say, as he was, you know, going through um, pre-flight stuff that you do. And it's a brilliant marketing stroke by Jeff Bezos because everybody, even if you were a fan of the TV series or not, knows Shatner, knows Captain Kirk, knows Star Trek, Um And so he's getting all this attention for what's going to be like a 13-minute flight. Um, In any event, what's fascinating here is this. Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin was just the subject of a major newspaper expose that has gotten either none or virtually no coverage uh, by the major networks while they're all going crazy about Bezos and Shatner. Here's what the story says. It leads off by saying, A couple years ago, a mid-level employee grew up fed up with the company. He left. He wrote a memo that he sent to Bezos and other top leaders. Our current culture is toxic to our success, and many can see it spreading throughout the company. The problems were systemic, according to this memo, verified by other employees. Uh, In recent years, Blue Origin's leadership Uh, Under Blue Orange's leadership, the company's culture has become dysfunctional, resulting in low morale and high turnover, significant delays across several major programs, and a failure to successfully compete with Elon Musk's SpaceX, according to current and former employees. The new management, as one former employee put it, has an authoritarian bro culture, affected how decisions were made, permeated the institution. Some employees were treated in condescending, sometimes humiliating fashion, harassment towards some women and a stagnant top-down hierarchy that frustrated many employees. This report appears in the Washington Post. And you come to this paragraph that said Bezos, who recently stepped down as chief executive of Amazon, also owns the Washington Post. Well, I can't say enough about this is a very carefully reported investigative piece that takes on the boss. It takes on another business unit by by the owner of the Washington Post. It speaks volumes about the culture of the Post that is willing to do this kind of reporting. And it actually says some pretty good things about Bezos because he has taken a generally hands-off attitude toward reporting on him. And this is, make no mistake about it, this is a knockdown piece that makes him look bad, that makes Blue Origin look bad. And it ran the the day before um, the scheduled second Flight by Blue Origin, based on more than 20 current and former Blue Origin employees, industry officials, who spoke mostly on condition of anonymity. Uh, this became a hot issue last month when the former head of communications at Blue Origin, Alexandra Abrams, released an essay that she wrote in conjunction with 20 other people who do or had work there, saying the company turns a blind eye to sexism. It's not sufficiently attuned to safety concerns and silences those who seek to correct wrongs. Bezos, interestingly, wouldn't comment for the story by the newspaper he owns. Um, Blue Origin's PR person put out a statement saying the company takes all claims seriously, and we have no tolerance for discrimination or harassment of any kind. And when we find out that there was such conduct, we take appropriate action up to and including termination of employment. Bezos' only sort of kind of comment was to um, tweet an image of a Barron's cover story from 1999, and the cover said, Amazon.bomb. It was very critical of Amazon before Amazon was the juggernaut that it is today. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzBeater coming your way in just a moment. All right, story number three. Uh, Let me lead into this by saying I have a piece up on Fox uh, today about how unpopular Joe Biden is. And it's not just that his poll ratings have gone down by about 15 percentage points. Um, But a lot of Democrats are nervous, are worried. I talked about this a little bit, I believe, on the podcast yesterday. And it is telling that this is, it's almost like somebody flipped a switch and suddenly the media woke up and said, wow, wow. Joe Biden's a pretty unpopular president. I mean, the average of where he is is 44%, which is not the end of the world, but it, it's, a, it's a significant decrease when, when he was in the 50s. And you can see where he hasn't had a win in a really long time. He can't seem to get his own party to get it together on these trillions of dollars of new spending that he wants. Um, COVID remains a problem and the vaccine wars as well. Uh, and then you get to things like the violent and chaotic exit from Afghanistan. Uh, the huge problems with uh, Haitian migrants at the border, on the Texas side of the border. And so all of this is hurting President Biden. Well, Jim Garrity is a piece of National Review, kind of dunking on this a little bit, saying that Democrats are realizing in October 2021 that Joe Biden is a lousy leader, Overpromising and under-delivering and stumbling badly when he needs to communicate clearly. Um, CNN warns that mounting problems test Biden's presidency and Democrats hold on power. 538 asks, why has Biden's approval rating gotten so low so quickly? And then there's the Politico piece that I mentioned yesterday. The headline was about the alarming decline for Joe Biden. That alarming decline quote came from Democratic strategist Simon Rosenberg and talked about a focus group where almost everybody, where everybody gave Biden either a C minus grade or less. And a number of those focus group participants talked about um, the COVID concerns. Um, so Garrity says that Biden, like a lot of presidential candidates, uh, can make the biggest, most grandiose, and most unrealistic promises. Uh, and these candidates are numbskulls, he said, who don't have the slightest idea how to bring those promises to fruition. Um, lest you think that Joe Biden was a realistic one in the primaries compared to Bernie Sanders, let me remind you, says Garrity, that in June 2019, he said that he's worked so hard in his career, he is pledging we're going to cure cancer. Okay. I'm going to shut down the virus. All right, he's still working on that one. Biden promised to cut prescription drug prices by 60%, put Social Security on a path to solvency, make public colleges and universities tuition-free for families who are in less than 125000 a year. Well, by the way, the free community college and free pre-K are in the uh, $3.5 trillion bill. It's not going to be $3.5 trillion. So whether that survives or not, we don't know. He said he'd create four and a half million jobs by this September. Um, Biden thinks if he throws money at a problem, it will get solved. All right, that's a National Review writer giving you his take. Uh, more concerning, I think, is Garrity pointing out that Joe Biden's supposed to be the experienced hand at Capitol Hill deal making, but seems really vague on what he wants out of a spending deal. You know, he won the... Bipartisan infrastructure battle. He's got this trillion-dollar bill, but he can't seem to get it passed. Why? Because he's tied it to the super-duper Democrats-only reconciliation bill, and now he's got the problem with Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. So, and then finally, uh, Biden's not much of an orator. I think everybody knew that. He didn't run because he you know, had the oratorical skills of a Ronald Reagan or a Barack Obama. That's not why he was elected. But he's got to make some progress on some of this stuff or this is not going to be just a rough patch, and that's the question. All right, story number four, inflation is becoming a growing problem. Now, if you're of a certain age, you remember when inflation was the number one issue in America. It was back in the 1970s. There was double-digit inflation under Jimmy Carter. It's one of the reasons he lost after a single term. There was something called stagflation, which was a combination of really serious inflation and a stagnating economy. And now there were worries on Wall Street that we might be heading toward stagflation. So the Consumer Price Index came out this morning. It climbed 5.4% in September compared to the previous September. Um, And up from 5.3% increase in August. So Wall Street's worried about this. Main Street is worried about this. I mean, this is not double digit, but it's enough that you have to worry. And by the way, these are just averages. So there are certain areas of our economy where the the prices are rising uh, even more rapidly. Food, for example, especially meat and eggs, according to this New York Times story. Even if you take out food and fuel, gas, you know, oil prices are up. Those tend to be more volatile. Inflation is still rapid, about 4%. Uh, last year. Uh, Airfares are up. Restaurant meals are up. uh, Clothing has recovered after slumping. When the economy was locked down, obviously people weren't going to stores. Those prices have continued to climb. But there are supply shortages. There's this supply chain problem, which is probably the most boring phrase in America, right? Joe Biden announcing today or late yesterday that... uh, the Port of Los Angeles be working 24 hours a day to try to get some of the goods from overseas so that uh, you, we can meet the demand. Like the economy is doing well in some ways. The stock market is doing well in some ways, although there's a lot of nervousness on Wall Street. I mean, just anecdotally, I went to Trader Joe's the other day to get, I asked for some sesame sticks that my daughter likes. And I was told, uh, you know, I saw there wasn't on the shelf. I thought, well, you know, we're just out of it. No, there's a supply chain problem. It'll be at least a couple of weeks, you know, if then a lot of people are finding that. So what happening is wages are going up, which is good news for employees, but and rents are going up rapidly as landlords try to regain some lost ground. But when wages are going up, it's in part because, in part because employees, a lot of employees are quitting their job because they want better jobs. That's a sign of a healthy economy, but also now there's a greater expectation that when you go to the supermarket or when you go to buy some of these things that I've been talking about or when you go to get gas, that you're going to have to pay more. And so then that requires labor unions, you know, and individual employees to say, well, you need to pay me more just for me to stay even. You know, when when inflation is chugging along as it has been for so many years, at 1% or 2%, it's kind of a non-factor. You don't think about it much. When it's 5% and could go higher, you think about it a lot. And so then becomes this cycle where companies have to pay employees more because of their expectations that they have to spend more just to buy the same goods, and then companies feel the need to raise prices so they can recover that, because they're not gonna do this out of charity, and then that feeds the the uh, inflationary cycle. And by the way, uh, the Federal Reserve did a whole lot of things to prop up the economy during the pandemic, the, the height of the pandemic, the peak of the pandemic, and that included keeping interest rates low. Well, the Fed has signaled that if the economy continues to improve, then interest rates will be allowed to rise. That's supposed to happen. You, know, you can't do this artificially forever. And then, of course, that hurts the economy because it slows down business, as it's designed to do, because the Fed's trying to keep the economy from overheating. So all this may just sound like a, a uh, economics professor's lec- lecture, but it's pretty serious stuff, because it's going to affect you, me, and everybody else. It's going to affect the market. It's going to affect the prices we pay at the pump and the stores and everything else. And obviously, that means that politicians are starting to worry about it. All right, finally, story number five. In The Atlantic by Adam Serwer. Um, Members of the Supreme Court have been going out and saying, hey, as Amy Coney Barrett put it in a recent speech, we're not a bunch of partisan hacks. And one of the ones uh, who made that case is Justice Samuel Alito. So last month, um he said that the Supreme Court is not a dangerous cabal that is deciding important issues in a novel, secretive, and proper way in the middle of the night hidden from public view. And in his speech, Alito read from a piece in The Atlantic by the aforementioned Adam Sewer, where he was highly critical, as a liberal writer, of the court's ruling on the Texas abortion law. Remember, it wasn't a ruling on the merits, but it had the effect by this high court not stepping in of allowing the law to go forward. And this is the law that, you know, essentially outlaws abortion after six weeks in the state of Texas, uh, except instead of being enforced by the state government or local government, it's it's to be enforced by individual people bringing lawsuits and getting as much of a $10,000 reward if they win those suits. So that continues to be very, very, very controversial. So, since uh, Alito complained about the Atlantic piece, um, he said, well, he said in his speech, journalists may think we can dash off an opinion the way they dash off articles. So, Adam Serra says, excuse me, uh, Justice Alito, on the contrary, journalists have to do their own work. I don't have a hand-picked team of law clerks to do the heavy lifting for me, and I am not shielded from my own errors of fact and judgment by a lifetime appointment to Shea. so the quibble here, and it's an important one, is that Sewell had written in the Atlantic that this state law, which was not, which will still still be the subject of Supreme Court review, but which the Supreme Court decided not to, you know, respond to an emergency petition on, uh, nullified abortions in Texas. And Alito's saying, we did no such thing, this was procedural, all we did was decline to intervene, it wasn't ruling on the merits. Well, you know, the Atlantic piece says all that. But given the reaction of anti-abortion activists being so delighted with the law that they're now trying to dissuade people from suing, because that might subject it uh, to a more swift overturning by the courts, and given the way that abortion clinics are canceling appointments and so forth, he said, look, I think it's fair to say the law in Texas has been nullified, he didn't say overturned. he said nullified. So look, everybody gets free speech here. I don't have any problem with Justice Samuel Alito or anybody else going out and giving a speech about how he does his job, criticizing the media. I used to say this all the time about Donald Trump. I didn't like when when President Trump called the press fake news or the enemy of the American people, but he had a right to push back against what was, over four years, overwhelmingly negative coverage sometimes justified, sometimes hugely hyped and exaggerated and sometimes wrong and sometimes sensationalized, especially during the endless Russia investigation. Um, you know, public officials, it, they, they can't sue quite as easily under the famous 1964 Supreme Court ruling. They have to show malice and intent by the journalists if you're a public figure. But they get to criticize what we do for a living, just as we are protected by the First Amendment, unless we libel them with wrong facts and perhaps malice, get to criticize what they do for a living. That's the great thing about America. So it's great that the Atlantic gets to push back. It's great that Justice Lito gets to say what he wants. It is interesting. I think it's five out of the nine justices have given various speeches or remarks Uh, saying, hey, in effect, we're not a bunch of partisan hacks, when a lot of people think, especially with the 6-3 conservative majority, three of those justices appointed by Donald Trump, that there's no question that the high court is moving in a more conservative direction. That's why we have elections. And we can get into the whole argument about Mitch McConnell and not seating Merrick Garland or giving him a hearing and a vote and all of that. Uh, But sometimes the court surprises people, even with the conservative majority. It turned down some of Trump's legal challenges after the election. Even with the conservative majority, not 6-3, but 5-4, same-sex marriage was made legal as the law of the land. Obamacare was upheld as the law of the land. So it's a complicated subject when you talk about courts and rulings and, you know, everybody knows the president's pick nominees that they think are going to move the court in the direction that they prefer ideologically. But everybody also knows that those presidents are sometimes frustrated and surprised when people they appointed do the opposite of what they might have preferred. All right, class dismissed. Thank you all for listening. Please subscribe on Apple, iTunes, and lots of other places. Back here tomorrow with more BuzzFeed